0: Well, good morning, church. It is an honor and a privilege to get to open the Word of God with you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you want to go ahead and turn there. As I get there myself. And we're continuing our series this morning for Christmas, God Among Us. And what we're going to see in the text this morning is that God among us, he brings rest. So let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this time, and then let's dive right in. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to your truth. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, in what we need to repent of, as you reveal it, I pray that we would be quick and that we would, we would just, with open hands, give it to you. Lord, please lead us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, Christmas is upon us. Does it feel frantic yet? Do you feel this emotional and spiritual exhaustion yet? <clears throat> the month of December, it's crazy. I mean, because you, you go straight from Thanksgiving, which is busy in and of itself, straight into everything being all Christmas. I mean, Christmas shopping starts in, in November, right? It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's crazy. And with all the craziness of December, you still have work and sports, and then you add shopping and stressing out about money and stress of travel and the stress of parties and I hope my family's not listening. The stress of family. I mean, let's be real. Some of you since December 1 have been mentally preparing for that conversation on, on on Christmas Day with that family member that you can't stand. Like you you just have to get emotionally right so that something bad didn't happen there. And so my heart this morning is that with all the the good craziness of the season, because it's a good crazy, that we would not miss the gift that God has for us because we are too distracted, which also equates us being spiritually distracted. Jesus is the gift that God wants to give you this Christmas. Don't miss the gift of spending time worshiping because you've got distracted by all the festivities, trying to make sure everything is just right. I know I miss Jesus all the time in the holidays, like Easter and Christmas. I mean, I'm a preacher. That's kind of like my on time. I get so wrapped up in the doing that I realize that I've not spent any real time being with Christ in worship, which is... Like all the signs say, the reason for the season, right? So what do you think Christ wants from you? Does Jesus want the things that you can do for him? Or does Jesus want you to be with him? A few years ago, I was in a pastor mentoring group, and a guy named Pete Schizero he posed that question to us. And i found myself for years now just profoundly impacted by this idea. So this morning, we're going to explore this idea. If you want to hear it spoke about much better than what I'm going to do, go, go find Pete Scazzaro. He's gonna, this, this is from him, just the idea. And the main idea that, that he brought to us is, are you being with Christ? Are you more concerned with being with Christ? Or are you more concerned doing for Christ? And when he posed that question, at that moment, I realized that my life was out of balance. And I was much more concerned with my doing for Jesus than my being with Jesus. So here's, here's the truth. The things that we do for Jesus should be an overflow of the time we spent with Jesus. And I believe that's the answer to why sometimes when you serve it kind of feels empty. And it's, you find yourself frustrated. And it's because your service was never meant to satisfy your soul. Only Jesus satisfies. Service doesn't satisfy the soul. Only spending time with Jesus satisfies the soul. And this truth is one of the greatest gifts that I know that I've received in a long time and I pray that it would be a gift to you this morning. So what do I mean by being? Being with God is spending time in prayer and in the Word, and this is a weird one for all of us, in silence. Being is enjoying intimacy with our Savior, and being with Jesus is the way that our souls are filled up. Doing is the things that we do for God. But the thing about doing is often in doing, we, we find something we feel is that some, something God would want us to do. Like there's a lot of things going on, especially in this time of the year that it's like, yeah, God would want me to do that. But we never stop and ask. And we end up doing things that Jesus has never asked you to do. And it makes you feel emptier, even more busy, even more frustrated, even more spiritually exhausted. So this season, you may have already busied yourself so much with doing between Christmas presents, getting the kids dressed up for Christmas pictures, decorating, serving in the soup kitchen, packing shoe boxes, preparing food, traveling, hosting, all good things but you're already just exhausted. Don't busy yourself beyond being with Christ. Our God does not desire our work apart from our worship. That was what he was chastising the Pharisees for. They were doing all the right things. Our God desires our work. He desires us to be with Him. And if you miss Christ during Christmas, like you've kind of missed the point, give yourself the gift today of being with Him. The gospel is the story of God coming to us. The gospel is the story of God creating relationship with us. And we get to experience God among us now as we worship Him in in the quiet. So here's the action item for you today. Evaluate the quality time that you've spent at the feet of Jesus over the last couple weeks. Just do some mental recollections. Ask yourself, was it in, in balance with what you do for him? Ask yourself, have you been missing the present of being in the presence of God? Cause that's the gospel, right? The gospel is the story of God giving us the present of Jesus Christ so that he can make it possible for us to be in the presence of God. We get to experience it now on earth. So I think one of the greatest embodiments of this, this principle of being versus doing is found in Luke 10, 37, and it's the story of Mary and Martha. So if you'll look at the screen, our what is true statement for the day is... God desires our work to be driven from a time of worshiping Him. So am I saying God does not desire our uh, work? Everything in balance to be driven from our worship. So what do we do with this? We commit to creating daily rhythms of worship. And we'll explain that as we go on. So let's look at our text, starting in verse verse 38, chapter 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, there would be one on the screen, or the text will be on the screen. So here we go. (laughs) Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary was focused on being with Christ, while Martha was focused on doing for Christ. So let's look at verse 38, and we're going to find a little background, a little context. So Jesus, he comes into this village, and a woman named Martha comes up to him and uh, invites him into her, the, her home where she and her sister lived. And we know from other places in the New Testament that these are the sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus later will raise from the dead. And I'm assuming because of this that these, these Jesus knows these people well. And um, we know from, from Lazarus, the story of his death, that Jesus has a deep emotional connection to this family in a different way than he does with some other people. So he's got a very, in my mind, a very close relationship to Mary and Martha already. And for a Jew, being hospitable was being a big deal. It was, was a big deal. It was a great honor to host a distinguished person in your home. And so Mar- Jesus comes into downtown, and Martha, she jumps at the privilege to serve Jesus and, and to receive him into their house. And we get this, right? So uh, we're like one of the youngest couples in our family, some of you are, some of you were at one point, and you'll remember, like, when you were the youngest person in your family that was married, if, if Thanksgiving or Christmas happened at your house, that means somebody had a stroke, right? Like, it, because that goes to the most, like, to, to, to the ones that are honored, right? The, like, the matriarch and the patriarch of the families, it's it's a position of honor for us even now to host Thanksgiving to, and to host Christmas. If somebody famous was coming through the town, or we had some um, famous preacher coming to church, like people would be wanting to host that person. We we get it that that's it's true for us too. So that's what's going on. It, it's they receive they they take this opportunity to have the privilege to have Jesus in their home. So let's keep looking in verse thirty nine through forty. And we see Martha serves while Mary sits. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her then to help me. I would imagine at this dinner, there's a lot of people. So there's at least 12 plus Jesus. And you know, Jesus always kind of had an entourage following him around too. So there's a lot of people, when you invite Jesus into your house, it's more than just Jesus showing up. So there's all these people in their home that they're now expected to feed. But in the Jewish community, when a person of renown would come to town, though you may not be invited to the dinner, there was an open door policy everybody, like you could fit as many people in there as you could. Rapture about to happen. Uh, (laughs) You can fit as many people in the house as you could. And uh, it was, it was just commonplace. It was open door. So anybody in the village who wanted to come could come. So could you imagine how many people this house is crawling with? And Mary is checked out. Martha's working hard. Like, we, we all want to dog on Martha in this story. But Martha's working hard, and Mary, she's checked out. And she's hanging out with Jesus. She's locked into his teaching. Mary, what she does is she sat at the feet of Jesus, and she's listening to his teaching. She had the Son of God in her living room, and she wasn't going to miss being with him for all the trivial things but let's be honest, these trivial things that Martha's doing, they're still important things that need to be done. So this is the, the, in my mind, what we see Mary doing here, it's the picture of what, for us, it looks like to be with Christ. She's not distracted by wanting to look good. She's not distracted by the serving. She's not distracted by things that seem urgent. Her mind's not chasing all those things. Instead, she's locked in and she's focused on Jesus, understanding that she doesn't get to spend every day, all day with him. So the time that she has with him, she's locked in. And Mary, what she's doing, she just sits there in silence and she's ready and willing to receive whatever is coming from Jesus. Mary, she gives something up to do this. She gives up the honor of being seen as the the host what Mary was doing looks lazy, right? If we didn't know the end of the story, like we would say, oh, Mary's being lazy. But Christ does not perceive it as laziness. If we were asked which thing was the most important thing, and we're just, again, we don't know the end of the story, Mary hanging out with Jesus or Martha serving everybody, which thing seems more important? Martha, right? That seems more important. And it's because most of us are like, it looks lazy, it feels lazy, not inactivity seems lazy, right? And it's because most of us are in this mindset of what one author calls the tyranny of the urgent we're not good at filtering the difference in what is urgent and what is important. Being with Christ was the important thing. There were many urgent things in that moment happening, but none of those things were more important than being with Christ. And always being at the whim of the urgent will forever distract you from spending real time with Jesus. It will forever distract you from the important thing of being with Jesus. And you'll never do that if you don't have margin. Like, we're never, ever going to worship as we should if we don't have margin. You know margin, it's a little spot, it's that side on the paper that doesn't have anything written on it. That's margin. Most of our lives are so busy that there's no margin, You gotta have margin in your life. To take this idea further, I would like, I would say much of what distracts us from Jesus are things that we feel like would make us look good if we accomplished them. What would it look like for you to model Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus? For some of us, it's waking up earlier. Because the urgent is, you know, I wake up a little late and my girl's already up. And once that's happening, there's no quiet time to be done. For many of us, it's saying no. Creating margin to worship for you is going to look like saying no. And you're going to have to say no to good things. Being brave enough to say no will open up your schedule. And here's the thing about no. When you say no, it allows you to give your best yes. Think about all the commitments that you have that you're not doing well. It's because you're overcommitted. There's not enough time in the day to execute all the things. And had you said no to some of the things, You would be honoring God in the yes that you give somebody else because you'd be fully present and fully being there and fully serving. No will be your best yes because it will create margin. And the things that you commit to, you'll be able to commit to them without being grumpy, without being exhausted, without being frustrated that... You know, you said yes to it three weeks ago, but it's finally coming, and you're like, oh, I can't believe it. I gotta go do this. Noah's a perfectly fine answer. It would have been a good thing for Mary to serve the people in her house. It would have been a good thing for her to put food on the table. It would have been a good thing for her to prepare the drinks. It would have been a good thing just on and on and on and on. I mean, by her, we could argue by her doing all those things, it would have been better because she would have made it to where other people could listen. Other people could have been reached. Other people could have heard Jesus. Other people could have been more comfortable. She would have been blessing Jesus' disciples. But what I want you to understand is all those things are good things. But she got praised because she said no and she chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. The question you need to ask yourself this morning is, what good things do you need to say no to in order that you get to have the present of being present with Jesus? What things do you need to say no to so that you can honor the commitments that you've made, and fully be present while you're there. I mean, Jesus commands us, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But you say yes to so many things that you're not letting your yes truly be yes because you're not fully committing to them. The power of no will give you back your sanity. And look, I'm asking you right here as your pastor, some of you are over-serving in the church. You gotta say no and back out of some stuff so that you can be fully present in the things that you're doing. And here's the thing, at church, we're always begging for more. There's literally like, no matter, we could have everybody in this room serving and we would still need people to serve. You gotta say no. There's gonna be so many good opportunities. Busyness, I want you to hear this. Busyness is often the enemy of godliness. Busyness is often the enemy of godliness. Godliness is the product of you being with God, and busyness distracts you from being with God. God desires rest for you, not just rest for your body, but rest for your soul. And we need to learn what it means, what it is for us to be resting with God. And this will be done for us by developing rhythms of rest, rhythms of worship. And it's going to require you to say no to good things. That's the hardest thing. Like, hey, there are a million great mission opportunities for us to get involved with right now. But we can't, if we do all of them, we'll do none of them well. We have to say yes to just one, or just two, just three. And it's not because we're mad at one of these other things. It's just we can't do everything. You're the same way. You can't do everything. You just have to pick something, and you got to do it wholeheartedly. Developing rhythms of rest is important. And people aren't going to understand when you start saying no to good things they're going to be frustrated with you. It's okay. They don't pay your bills. It's okay that they're frustrated with you. But worshiping through rest is one of the major themes of the entirety of the Bible. Let's go back to creation. When God first creates the world, He sets up the week so that on the seventh day, we would so that we would rest. And by the structure of that story, we know one thing about the creation. The most important thing about the creation story, the way that it all builds, it doesn't build to the things that he creates. It builds to the day of rest. It does. That's the most important thing in that story. God wants those people, God wants us to understand that he does not value us based on what we can accomplish. He's he's made important, of first importance, rest through worship. Then, if you look in uh, Genesis 1-5, it's the first time that we start talking about day and night. It says that God made the day, then God made made the night. But what he calls it, it's very curious. Because he says, and then there was evening and morning. If we were creating the calendar, how would we create it? as some Westerners who put a prime on getting things done. Morning and night. It's set up. God's calendar is about rest first and that your rest would be overflow into work. That your rest would be an overflow into doing. In the Ten Commandments, Think about the first three commandments. The first three commandments are about worship. And then the third commandment's what? That we would keep the Sabbath. And God didn't show up in the New Testament and be like, hey, this whole Sabbath keeping thing, we're done with that. We are to keep the Sabbath. We're not to skim or skimp on the Sabbath. I just finished reading Exodus and Leviticus in my personal worship, and these. Books, yeah, they're law, but if you look at them closely, what you're going to find is that they're a calendar of rest, a calendar of worship. First, we talk about worshiping through through devotion, personal devotion, in the books of Exodus and Leviticus. Then God gives us not just daily worship, but weekly worship, the whole Sabbath thing, right? He, he, he's implanting that rhythm into the life of the people. But there's more than that. He gives, Moses comes down with a calendar from the mountain, not just commandments. He comes down and he says, all right, quarterly, you know all these feasts, they're basically set up quarterly. It's quarterly, quarterly set up so that you would rest and remember God. You, you keep reading the book and you find this weird thing called Jubilee. Jubilee was that every 50 years, all your uh, debts would go away. And not just that, the land was to rest. For the two years preparing for Jubilee, you couldn't work the land the year of Jubilee, so you had to be preparing and storing things. So, God, in his calendar that he gave us, once every 50 years, they were to totally rest from work. Do you think that God puts a premium on rest and worship? These are the first things that God is revealing to himself, uh, revealing about himself to man. God is not like we are. He's not placing value on how much we can produce. God has already, hey, take and breathe out for a second. God has already placed value on you. And that value is the image of God he implanted in you. You've got value not based on what you can do but based on who he is. He loves you. He's got grace for you. And you get to rest and be with Christ. And it looks simple. Like, this is the thing that preachers have screamed about for, I don't know, 2,000 years. And it's, you got to be with God. It looks simple. Stop Quiet yourself, quiet your soul, and listen. Listen by sitting in silence. Yeah, that's weird. That's okay. My mind, when I sit in silence, just runs because I've got I got so many things to do. But the most important thing to be done is to sit there with God. Uh, listen by reading His Word. Sit there and find rest, knowing that you don't have to produce anything for Him to love you or for His attention. All He wants is your focus. And You're gonna find a sense of peace. You're gonna find a sense of calm. And this doesn't happen quickly. You're gonna have to learn to linger long with Christ. Linger long with Christ. I always used to use the language of quiet time for my daily worship, and I'm probably gonna do it again, so don't, don't smoke me when I do. But it's not quiet time, it's worship, it's daily worship. Quiet time makes it seem small. Like, I mean, I didn't get my quiet time today. Like, it's just a little part of my day. But let's think about what's happening during our, our daily worship, during our quiet time. The reality of that moment is you are sitting with the King of Eternity. You have his ear, you have his attention, and he wants to give you the gift of being in his presence. That's why he sent his son to die so that you could be with him. That's why God came among us. God desires to be among his people. And look, your pastor's not great at this, but I'm trying. Uh, I know if I don't rest, I'm going to burn out. And older pastors have told me, if I don't practice rest, I'm going to burn my family out on ministry. If I don't practice rest, I'm setting myself up for spiritual and moral failure. So I personally, I have to practice rest. And the most powerful tool I have in practicing rest is saying no to things that you think are good. It's not because I'm being mean. It's because I'm protecting what's important, what's most important. And if it's true for me, it's true for you too. Do you want to burn your family out? Do you want to fall into spiritual and moral failure? You're going to have to say no And I would challenge you, a very practical way to start is by making a calendar. Mark out the time of day that will not encroach on you worshiping. Mark out in your calendar every Sunday. You know where you're going to be. If it's not here, be somewhere else. Uh, Maybe you need to practice regular rhythms of retreat. I'm really bad at that, but I need to start. That's the model of Christ. Christ would uh, retreat from the ministry, he would rest in the Father, and then he would re-enter into the mission. And if it's important for Christ, do you think it's important for us too? So let's look at the last, uh, last part real quick. Distracted by much serving in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Martha was distracted. What was she distracted from? The presence of Christ. And when people, when I serve out of an empty well, you know what shows up? We believe it's selflessness. We're all the willing martyr. But really, it's not selflessness, it's self-righteousness. It's self-righteousness. Martha's service of doing was out of balance with her being with Jesus. Instead of it being an overflow, what happened? She boils over wanting to be noticed and praised. Martha, she had worked herself up so much, she finally boils over and she says something to Jesus. And what she's looking for is vindication. And she's looking for condemnation for her sister, for her perceived laziness. And I want you to see a couple things about what comes out of Martha's frustration in verse 39. And these are the things I see in myself and I see in others when we're not operating out of an overflow of a time spent with Jesus. Here's the two things. Uh, It's self-promotion and self-righteousness. Self-righteousness says I'm better than somebody else because of what I do. Isn't that what she was saying? Jesus, recognize how much better I am than my sister for the things that I'm doing. Martha's so worked up that in her self-righteousness and in her self-promotion, she makes an allegation against Jesus. She makes an allegation against his goodness, and she makes an allegation against his justice. She says, you don't even care. He did, Jesus, you don't care about the injustice being done to me by my sister. Self-righteousness will blind you from the truth of the situation. Self-righteousness will blind you from the truth of the situation. Think about uh, when we get a little hot and bothered and we begin to relive the situation with our spouses on the drive back from church or from our family's house. How often do we see where our possible wrong was? That self-righteousness, it, just, it completely blinds and shrouds the reality of a situation. Martha even demands, she demands Jesus to command Mary to help. Self-righteousness makes us awful big for our breeches, And when you are serving like Martha and your service is disproportionate to the amount of time that you're spending with God, your, outlooks, your outlook on others will be skewed. But not just that. Her outlook on, on Mary is clearly skewed, but who else was it skewed towards? Jesus. Jesus does not want what you can do for him. Jesus wants you. He wants you to spend time being with him in his presence in silence and meditation, reading the word. These are the things that will fill you up. And being full should drive us to service. On the cross, Jesus did not purchase our slavery. On the cross, he didn't purchase our service. On the cross, he paid our pardon so that we would be his prize. You and I, for some crazy reason, flaws and all, are the prized possession of God. And God moved heaven and earth so that he could be among this people. Heaven is us being with God, and we get to experience and we get to taste heaven now on earth. He does not want what you can do for him. That's opposite of the gospel. The gospel is all about what he did for you so that you could be with him, both now and in eternity. And we have to learn to linger with him. Heaven is us being with God and we get to taste heaven here on earth. We get to, as Jesus said, we get to participate in the good portion. Jesus desires us for all of eternity. This is the message of the gospel, that the God-man came to earth, died for our pardon, so that we could have eternal life. And eternal life is being with God. if you believe that God's love for you is contingent on your performance or what you can do, you've totally and entirely missed the point of the gospel. And what you're preaching to yourself, and by living this way, what you're preaching to the people around you is a different gospel than what Jesus himself preached. Jesus, his work brought rest to the world. It's Jesus has done all the work required for us to be with him in heaven. We get to rest from the spiritual weight of bearing our own sins. We get to rest from the worry of wondering if we've done enough to go to heaven. And one day, we will get to rest in in the arms of our Savior in eternity. Jesus brought rest. Do you see that rest is one of the major themes of the Bible? He's bringing an ultimate Sabbath rest when he comes and makes all things right. Jesus' work purchased our rest, not our work. So look now at this last part in verse 41 through 42. Jesus' praises being over service. Listen to Jesus' rebuke and his call for us to take the good portion, verse 41. And he answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but The thing that is necessary, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Martha's misery was totally self-inflicted. She had become anxious and frustrated. She had filled her time with things that the Lord never asked her to do. And because she filled herself with all these good things, she was unable to be with Jesus. Look at who chose the good portion. Jesus says it's Mary, and her blessing was spending time with Jesus. Pete Scazzaro says this idea of being is a struggle for us with this Western mindset that puts a premium on doing. But Jesus is not a 21st century American. Just sitting with Jesus might seem like a waste of time. But stopping and spending time with Jesus in silence and in prayer and in meditation is the greatest thing that we get to participate in. Obviously, we're not monks. We can't spend every waking hour by ourselves, you know, on our knees in prayer. So what we have to do is capitalize on the time that we do have. Because God has called us to reach a lost and dying world. But we cannot reach a lost and dying world in our own power. But like anything else, every it's it's a matter of balance. And when your service is out of balance with your being with Christ, you will suffer burnout. You're going to fall into sin. You're going to be angry. You're going to be frustrated. Jesus, like I said earlier, he practiced this himself. So you'll see in the story of when Jesus feeds the 5,000, you know what he did before that? He got away. Then the crowd showed up and he did a miracle. Then you know what he did? He got away. There's model after model after model of Jesus resting first. Jesus slipping away to be with the Father so that he could go and then do the work. You remember what Jesus did the night before he was executed? What did he do? He slipped away to pray, to prepare to face the cross. We sit here and we see this pattern all over the Gospels of retreat to the Father, finding spiritual rest and his re-entry into the world to do a ministry. And we acknowledge that the Son of God believes that he could do nothing apart from the Father. But when it comes to us, we feel like we can conjure up enough strength in our own will to do these things. This church is a functional atheism. And this is a functional atheism I find myself in all the time. It says, I can do all these actions and I don't need God to do them for me. I don't need God to do them through me. We, we all sit here and believe. We, we know, right? Because Jesus said it, apart from God, we can do nothing. But then we try to do all these things apart from being with God, abiding in the Spirit. Jesus gave us the model. And the model is us first going to the Lord and then moving to service. Here's a little checklist I want to read real quick that Pete Scazzaro gives to see if your service, if your doing is out of balance with your being. So I'm going to read them slow. The first one, this is me all day. You avoid silence, and when you're quiet, your mind constantly races. You skim or skim, you skip or skim on Sabbath, You're constantly in a hurry. You position yourself so that others will think well of you. You say yes when you'd rather say no. You are resentful and tired because you regularly try to do it all. You have a little mindfulness of delighting in Christ's love during the day. You're often unaware when your body's full of tension because we are both body and soul. You have little or no awareness when you're having an overreaction. If you said no to quite a few of those things, I would challenge you, or yes to quite a few of those things, I would challenge you that you're out of balance. But how does how does Jesus identify himself first in the Bible? You know the first things that he says about his own nature? He says, "I am gentle and lowly in heart." He is not in heaven, staring down his nose, ready to smite you. Our Jesus is kind and gentle. One of the Old Testament prophecies talks about he won't even uh, he won't even bruise a broken reed. He's gentle. And He's not here to beat you up for what you're not doing, but He's calling you to repentance. And when you repent of, of trying to do it all yourself, what you're going to find is a Savior who's close, He's near, and He's ready and willing to be with you. Not, he's not going to reject you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus... I'd love to have a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to be standing right here. Brandon's coming forward to, to lead us in a final song. And use this time to reflect on what the Lord's calling you to do and maybe some of the things that you might need to say no to in the coming weeks. If you will, bow your heads with me.